I join with Nathan and the other brethren in welcoming you here this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to come and worship with us. If you're here visiting with us, we're especially glad that you're here. Uh, it's good to have those of you who have been sick uh, back. We have a wonderful audience tonight, It's wonderful, or this morning. Uh, it's wonderful to have Justin, Tara, and their kids here uh, with us. Uh, Wednesday night, I, if you were here Wednesday night, I mentioned that I wanted Corinna uh, on the prayer list because she had flu for the first time being away for college. Um, it was very traumatic. And so this morning, uh, I want to learn a lesson from a couple of 19-year-olds, 19-year-old freshmen in college. You know, the night that she called us, her birthday, Corinna's birthday was on Tuesday, and Wednesday, uh, she called and said her throat was hurting uh, worse than she had ever felt. Uh, I mentioned that the tears wouldn't stop flowing. Uh, I've realized something about myself. I have real difficulty with tears, especially when they come from my daughters. And you can ask them, because it's in those times of tears that it becomes very difficult as a father when you can't make it better. And so here was my 19-year-old, away at college, in a dorm room, she had the lights out, and it was dark, and we were trying to FaceTime her, and all she could do was cry. And at one point, she was uh, on FaceTime with Kelly, and during that FaceTime, somebody knocked on her door and asked if she wanted some soup. The young 19-year-old who was on the other side of that door was a girl named Casey, who until college, Corinna had never met, and yet... All day she had heard Corinna's tears. So she did what she could think of. She knocked on that door and said, can I get you some soup? You know, when a mom and dad can't be there for their child, there's just something great about the kindness of a friend who sees a need and knocks on the door and fulfills that need through the kindness of God. You know, the reading this morning is a reading about two friends. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to follow along. If you don't, I'd encourage you to take notes and go back and look through these scriptures so that you'll understand how important the topic we're discussing this morning is. There's something you need to know before we get to portions of the reading that we had this morning, and that's the importance of the friendship between Jonathan and David. First Samuel, the 18th chapter, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. If ever there was a definition of true friendship, the kind that is built on the love of Christ, it is seen in the friendship between Jonathan and David. David, in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, had gone out and, and he slew the Philistine. At the end of that chapter, we see that, that David is brought before King Saul and he's got the head of Goliath there. And it's there that, that Saul says that David will be in charge of the armies, that he's going to be the leader in the wars now for the children of Israel. And then we learn here that after talking David talking to Saul that something happened that made Jonathan and David be knit together so much that it says Jonathan loved David 
as he loved his own soul. Uh, during the course of time, we can read there throughout uh, the, the following chapters that David was in fact a man of war and the children of Israel took notice of that. And Saul became very jealous. And Saul decided that David was taking his place in the eyes of the children of Israel. In 1 Samuel, the 20th chapter, it says, And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. This is Jonathan's request to David. As we saw in the reading, Saul decided he's going to kill David. He's going to get rid of him. In fact, he goes to great lengths telling not only his servant, servants, but telling his kids, David's going to die. And Jonathan says, David, don't worry about it. I'll tell you everything he says, everything he's going to do, I'm going to protect you from my father. And I want one thing in exchange. Can you imagine being in this position? Jonathan, the king's son, has now told his friend whose soul he is knit to, who he dearly loves. Jonathan says, I'm going to protect you. Don't worry about my dad. Don't worry about the king. But in exchange for this, I want one thing. You notice he doesn't say, I want to now be the man of war. He doesn't say, David, I want to be rewarded with something of substance. I want some kind of money. I want some kind of land. I want something that shows this great thing I'm doing for you. But instead, Jonathan says this. Here's all I ask for what I'm doing for you, David. For the rest of my life, as long as I'm here, I want your kindness. But here's what I want even more than that. I don't want your kindness to stop when I'm gone. I want your kindness toward me to be shown forever to my family. What an amazing thing that he has asked for. There's a point where Saul is killed, and yet one thing David never in his life forgot was the covenant he made with Jonathan, that he would forever show Jonathan and his family kindness. So if we skip ahead to 2 Samuel the ninth chapter, there's a point where David recalls that covenant with Jonathan and he says this, is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? What's David do when he recalls the one whose soul he was knit with, when he recalls his friend Jonathan, he says, is there anyone left is there anyone left I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? They find a servant from Saul's house. And that servant comes and says, yes, there is one. His name is Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is brought before King David. And here's what David says. In 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, verse 7, David says to Mephibosheth, Fear not, for I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. When you think about Jonathan and David's relationship, you have to recognize that there was something special about that relationship because Jonathan was willing to betray his father 
in order to help his friend David. And in helping his friend David, he asked for only one thing in return, and that was kindness. And David felt that so strongly that although he was king and could have forgotten that forever and let it go and just be the strong king, we see that he carried through on that covenant with Jonathan. But there's something more important if you back up in 2 Samuel, the ninth chapter, we read there in the first verse, and David said, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 2 tells us that there was, in fact, a servant of Saul who was brought before David. And that servant of Saul is the one who told him, Hey, there is one son left. But I want you to look at verse 3. 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 3 says, And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Is there anyone left that I, the king, may show the kindness, not of me, not of Jonathan, not of those who I am around, but instead, is there anyone left of Jonathan's house, from the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God unto him? Ephesians 4 chapter says this to you and I. Paul, writing in this letter, says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. How serious do we take that little word? And be ye kind one to another. Let me tell you the importance of that. The same Paul who wrote this letter and commanded that we be kind one to another is the same one who gave us the fruits of the Spirit. One of those being kindness how important is kindness then but more importantly what is kindness you see we've been commanded to be kind one to another we understand that if we're going to show the father and the glory of the father in this life that we will bear a fruit that is called kindness so what in the world is it Let's look at Titus, the third chapter, and again, this is Paul writing to Titus. But after that, the kindness and love of God of our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want to pause for just a second and make sure you understand where we're at here. David had a relationship with Jonathan. Jonathan and David made a covenant together that if Jonathan would save David, David in exchange would show not only Jonathan, but his family forever as long as David lived, kindness. And in doing or fulfilling that covenant, David said, is there anyone left of Jonathan's house? Is there anyone left that I may show the kindness of God? And Paul said this, the kindness and love of God toward man appeared. What's that word appeared mean? Does that mean that it was through Jesus Christ the first time that God's kindness was ever revealed? And the answer is no. Appeared means seen there. You see, this is a great working definition of kindness. How? 
What saved you and I? What gives us hope? What is the only thing, the only place that salvation is received? You know what Paul made clear? It's not on how good we are. It's not on how strong we are. It's not on how hard we work. It's not on anything we can do. In fact, what Paul was saying to Titus is remember this. You're hopeless. You've got nothing. There is no way you could do it on your own. But the kindness of God was shown in that he sent his son. What's that tell us about kindness? Kindness is helping those who cannot help themselves. Kindness is helping those who are vulnerable. Kindness is helping those who are in need. Do we do that? Let's look at this a different way. One of the things that we do in our culture as humans is we reward and we idolize self-sufficiency and self-reliance. How many of us like to be weak? How many of us like to be needy? How many of us like for everyone to know our struggles? How many of us like for everyone to know our pain and our shortcomings and our struggles? You see, I, I am one of those who doesn't like to ask for help. I am one of those who is proud to say, I strive for self-sufficiency. It is very difficult, if not impossible, for me to say, I need help. You know, oftentimes we look at leaders, not just in the church, but leaders throughout the world. We look at real men as those who are self-sufficient and self-reliant. And I wonder where I got that idea that it was important for me to be self-sufficient because I can say this, it doesn't come from Scripture. In fact, just a couple of examples, King David. Certainly King David, I would have to say, is a saint far above me. In fact, it's recorded that he is a man after God's own heart. King David, in his prayer in Psalm 51, says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Who was David talking about? If you read Psalm 51, David was talking about himself. David was crying out in his prayer and saying this, I'm broken. In fact, I'm not just broken, I'm broken to the point I'm broken in spirit. In fact, in the same psalm, he says, create in me a clean heart. He was crying out saying, my heart is broken, it's destroyed, my heart is dirty. Only you can clean my heart. If that's not enough, King David described himself in Psalm 70. Verse 5, but I am poor and needy. Make haste unto me, O God, thou art my help and my deliverer. O Lord, make not tarrying. Here's what he said, I need you fast. Because here's what's bad. I am the king, and yet as the king, I am poor and I am needy. Don't we kind of have to say we, we do really like self-reliance? 
In fact, we have this term, low maintenance and high maintenance. You know the high maintenance people in our life, they're the needy ones. (laughs) We really like the ones that don't need us so much, don't we? I wonder if we're never in a position to be needy, if we're never in a position to share our struggle, if we're never in a position to share our pain, then how can we ever be in a position to experience the kindness of God. And if we're never in in a position to experience the kindness of God, then it means we have robbed one another of the chance to bless us by showing us the kindness of God. You know, in Matthew, the 25th chapter, Matthew, the 25th chapter, this is where Jesus is giving us the parable of, of the end times of the judgment day, and he's talking about how he will separate the people, the sheep, from the goats. Uh, and one of the, the, the most poignant, poignant points uh, in that parable is in verse 40, and he says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. And he's talking about there the acts of kindness in going to those who might be in prison or going uh, to those who are in need, in need of clothing, in need of food. And certainly we can do that. And certainly I would say that we are very good when tragedy strikes like that, when somebody has lost their home, when somebody has lost a loved one, when somebody is going through a struggle that is very clear and evident, we are good. But I wonder how good we are at sharing our real struggles, the emotional struggles, the spiritual struggles. You know, I think one of the uh, worst words that we ever came up with in the English language is fine. How you doing? fine. You know what fine means? I don't want to answer the question. That's what it means. Yet we've conditioned ourselves to ask one another the question, how are you? Fine. Good end of discussion. (laughs) Because as long as you're fine and I'm fine, then we don't have to get to the real struggles. And so I want to give you uh, just one aid this morning, if you will, in getting us to the point where we can truly be vulnerable with one another and we can truly show one another the kindness of God. And I want to take you back to the garden. If you go back to the garden, we learn about Adam and Eve there. And, and in the first uh, couple of chapters, we learn about creation and the garden. In chapter 2, uh, Adam is put into that garden and he's told to work that garden. And God sees that it is not good that man should be alone seeing that we need one another. And yet, in that garden, Eve faces temptation. And in that temptation, she violates the law of God. And Adam does the same. In Genesis chapter 3, I want you to notice what happens. The Bible says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where are you? That's what he asked. Where are you? Now, I want you to notice what brought about God's question. You know what it was that brought about God's question? It was that they violated the law of God, and what did they do? 
In shame, they tried to hide it. They were struggling with temptation. They gave in to it, and they did what we do. They heard God in the garden, and it says they went and hid themselves from God. You know, we've often heard preachers say this. Was he asking this question, where are you, because he didn't know? And obviously the answer is no. God knew exactly where Adam was. God knew exactly what Adam had done. And yet he asked the question, Adam, where are you? I wonder if what happened after this would have been different if it would have changed all of God's plan. God's plan is God's plan. I'm not saying that I know one way or the other, but I'd like you to think about this. God asked the question, Adam, how are you? You know what Adam did? Adam didn't answer fine. You know what Adam didn't do? Adam didn't say, God, I'm struggling. God, I've I failed. God, I've got this thing in my life that's burdening me right now, and it's tough, and I need some help. Here's what Adam did. Adam said, that woman that you gave me, I'm going to tell you what, that woman that you gave me, that you put her in the garden here, she's the one who gave me the apple, and I had to break the law. What? I wonder if Adam would have humbled himself and said, God, it's too much for me. I'm not as strong as I thought I was taking care of this garden. I'm not as strong as I thought I was with the one you gave me. I need your help. I wonder if Adam instead would have cried out, if God would have said, let's find a different way. But instead, he had to show Adam, just like the rest of us, that we are weak and poor and needy and face death. He had to show Adam and Eve that there was only one salvation, and it was through God. And thank God, through his plan, whether we recognize it or not, knew we need a Savior. Where are you this morning? How are you? No, I mean, how are you? You see, this isn't an easy process because it's difficult to make ourselves vulnerable. It's difficult to make ourselves to the point that we can say, Hey, I need help. I need help bad. I need help so bad that I need it from you. Why? Because if we truly are the children of God, then when I say I need help, you will respond in kindness, and I will get to see the kindness of God. Where are you? If you're not a child of God this morning, you have not experienced the love and mercy, grace, and kindness of the Father that created you. You haven't experienced the fact that he sent his son, the only one who shed blood, could give us salvation. The only one that could give us hope. We plead with you this morning to be buried with him in baptism, to become a child of his and experience that kindness. If you are a child of God and you have a need, We'd encourage you to come forward, but I want to say this. If you can't come forward, I understand this morning. But if you can't bring yourself to come forward this morning, cry out at some point that you might see the kindness of God. If there's one of either class, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand to sing the song that's been selected.